last week. You remember my wife stood up here. She rarely speaks in church, and I wish she would do it more often because she has just got power, and she has so much to say. But she stood up last week, and she said, I am not saying this to manipulate you. I know that when you get involved in what's on God's heart financially, he will return it to you financially. And, uh, and working with kids at risk is on God's heart. James says that this is true and undefiled religion, taking care of the orphans and the widows. Jesus says, give to the poor, and it's just like lending to the Lord, and the Lord will repay. God cares so deeply about the orphan, the widow, and the poor, and the destitute. So there's a family in the church uh, who's here today, and they called me up, and they said, look, we want to give anonymously, but we would like to give uh, whatever's lacking uh, for the Freemans. And um, it was $7,000. And so they said, okay, we want to we wanna give that. Well, then the Freemans ended up getting a couple grand from another church. And so uh, when I talked to this family, I said, well, now they only need five grand. And as we were talking, I said, but you get credit for the seven. And he kind of laughed out loud. And I said, no, really. The Bible says that God looks at the intent of the heart. You are willing to give the seven. And so you're going you're gonna to get uh, a blessing on the seven, not on the five that you gave because of your willingness. He sent me an email this week and said, we gave the five, but this week somebody gave us seven grand out of the blue. And then he said, but I will have you know, I really wanted to give 20. And I'm like, well, that's between you and the Lord. I, I don't know what to say about that, but. Maybe the other 14's on its way or 13 or however much that is. You just really can't outgive heaven. One of the greatest things that we, I'm going to say this, and it's not arrogant to say this. I mean this with a towel on as we are serving. One of the greatest things we give this region is, is worship. When I was praying over this region and we're in a unity movement with pastors, some of my best friends are pastors in this region that pastor great churches. Many of them are better pastors than I am. I learn from them. I grow with them. But as I was praying over this region, I saw in a vision different churches. And I saw Joe's church at New Hope, and I saw him with a staff in his hand. He is an excellent shepherd. I go to him when I need wisdom. Bruce uh, Humphreys is a wonderful teacher and such a, a he's a, he, spiritual healing takes place in Bruce's church. And I go to him when I need to know how to negotiate certain situations and certain difficult personalities, I go to Bruce. And Bob has such a, he, I see him, Bob Maddox over at the Connection Church, he serves the world. He has such compassion for the hurting. And when I was, when I, in this vision, I saw Bob and I saw him as a serving gift. And I, at our church, I saw this fountain springing up and out over the region and it was praise. When God had me pioneer this church, he had me walking around the building, and he said, I want you to walk around the building, and at every corner of the building, I'm going to give you a word to prophesy into the foundation of the, of the house. I was, it was just a complete blank slate. And, you know, I didn't want to make anything up. So when I got there, if nothing happened, nothing happened. I got to the first corner, and it was prayer. So I stopped and prayed prayer into the foundation of this house. Then I went to the next corner, it was compassion. It was, I mean, it just immediately came to me, and I started praying compassion into the house. The next corner was prophecy. 
That's the mouth of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural dimension. And then the last corner was praise. God said that, his, that, uh, that he inhabits the, the praises of his people. When Jesus came in and cleansed the temple of the, the uh, money changers, and uh, after it was cleansed, people came in, and the supernatural broke out, and he was healing the sick, and then the children began to just praise the Lord. And the Pharisees complained about the children who just spontaneously were praising God, and they told the children to shut up. And Jesus said, if they shut up, the rocks will praise me. You see, out of the mouths of babes and infants, God's perfected praise. We are to be praising God 24-7. That's what we're created to do. And we have some of the greatest praisers in this house. God has so gifted us with the spirit of praise and skillful musicians and true worshipers. Wouldn't you agree? And we have a worshiping congregation, which we didn't have when we first started. When we first started, we'd be worshiping and everybody would just kind of be sitting there watching. We've come a long way. God has developed a worshiping people and a worshiping congregation, and I just want us to grow in it and go to the next level. Amen? So today we're going to have Josh Hamilton and Kirsten Clegg and Heather Nunn bring 10 minutes each on the subject of worship. And then at the end, we're going to have you come down and receive communion to connect with Christ. And then tonight we're going to come back at 5.30, and we're just going to, for two hours, just worship God and let His presence fill the house. Amen? So let's welcome Josh Hamilton as he kicks it off. Ten minutes, go. Check. Well, good morning, GPC. How are you? Are you guys excited today? I'm excited. I'm from New England, and I come from a church which is uh, very charismatic and Pentecostal, so sometimes the crowd actually preaches more than the preacher. So I wouldn't be surprised if handkerchiefs were flying all over the place. So feel free, whatever you guys want to do. All right? (laughs) Patriots lost. Oh, man. Well, it's my honor and privilege to get to speak today. Um, I'm just super excited, and I hope you guys are excited too. So Uh, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a time when you've gone into prayer and you just felt like your prayers were hitting the ceiling? I know I have at times. Your mind is racing, you're thinking of a thousand things, and you just find it really difficult to focus. In the same way, you've probably come into service, and maybe from having a busy, stressful week, maybe you had a fight with a spouse on your way, maybe the kids were going crazy in the van, and you're just like, ah, when you come into service. Worship team's going, people singing, praising, shouting, and you have a real difficult time connecting with God, right? Have you ever felt like that before? I know I have. Well, I'd like to talk to you about one of the most important aspects of being a Christian, whereby through it, we could approach God with confidence. By it, we're made righteous, and in it, we can, in, we can usher in the kingdom of God over our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, what I'd like to uh, talk to you about this morning is worshiping in faith. Worshiping in faith. A lot of times, uh, many of us probably think of worship as just being the first half hour of service. And we'll come in, and it's songs, and we're all praising and, and doing that. And that's rightly so. But I, I'd like to propose that worship is much more than that. It's, it's much more than that. It's worshiping God with what you say, with what you do, how you live your life, the choices that you make. What, so what is faith? 
Faith is what makes us who we are. It's, what, it's why we pray. It's why we worship. It's, it's the act of placing our hope in what we truly believe in, right? I like what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to that if you'd like. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, that's an interesting word there, substance. You can, you can feel and see substance, right? See, I believe that what faith causes what we do and say to come alive, and it makes it tangible. It's the fuel to this whole thing. It's how the kingdom life works. Amen? When you have faith in something, don't you have confidence in it? You believe that the thing you put your trust in is going to come through for you. Romans 3.21 says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How many people do I have here that believe? You guys believe? You guys are full of faith this morning? Come on, let's get fired up this morning. Let's do it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God without faith because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. Do you want to please God? Do you want to please God? Do you feel like you're pleasing to God? Are the things that you're saying, are the things that you think about throughout the day, are you pleasing to God? The Psalm 19 says, may the words of my mouth, Psalm 19.14 says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. I want to be pleasing to you. You know, one of the greatest feelings in the world for me is knowing that my wife believes in me and she has faith in me. One of the greatest feelings for me is knowing that my pastors have faith in me and they believe in me, right? That knowledge inspires me to action. It inspires me to want to keep doing what I've been doing and more. Does that do that for you? When someone has faith in you, does it not inspire you to action? Inspire you, you know what? I have confidence now. If someone is actually, someone has my back and I can move forward with confidence. You know, when you have faith in God, it inspires him to action. Faith is pleasing to God. You can have it. <laughs> can I tell you something? God's got faith in you. He's got more faith in you than you have in yourself. Be believe that. Believe that. His faith in you should inspire you to action. Knowing that the king of the universe, the creator, our loving heavenly father, has faith in you and he backs you up 100%. If you earnestly seek him. Handkerchief. <laughs> awesome. Man, I feel like home. <laughs> so what actions can we take? What are some actions that we can take to increase our faith and pursue God earnestly? I have a few ideas that I've found that, that really have um, increased my faith, and, and I know work. So... Uh, <laughs> Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Romans ten seventeen, Read and listen to the word every day. Read and listen to the word every day. I have to do this every morning or else I'm going to be all over the place in my thoughts, right? 
or else I, I need to stand on the word in confidence because the Lord's prayer is, give me today my daily bread. It's daily. You have to do that every day. Read about the testimonies of other people. Heaven on Earth book out there. I have one at home. And I was flipping through that and getting so inspired. Because what does that do? When you read testimonies of other people and how God had breakthrough in people's lives, it inspires you to see, like, you know, I want that to happen in my life too. I want to see that happen again. I want to see the sick get healed at this altar. I want to meet someone at Target who's got a little bit of a limp and pray for them and they walk normal. Don't you want to see that? That's kingdom. Kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. Surround yourself with godly people like we're doing right now. We're created to be in a body. We're created to be in community. You cannot do it alone. You have to have brothers and sisters around you that will pray for you and encourage you. Amen? And worship with other believers. The anointing comes when we worship together, hungry and unashamed. Jesus says in Matthew 18, when two or more are gathered in his name, he's in their midst. He's among them. What would it look like, guys, if 200 or 300 people were gathered together in his name, full of faith? What would that look like? How much could we do? Yeah, it would look like heaven. Awesome. <laughs> Things would happen. I don't, think, I don't believe that it would take very long for strongholds to be ripped down. I don't believe that it would take very much action if we all gathered into faith, for, for people to just even walk into these doors and feel something different, emotional depression just be broken off, people be healed. I don't think that it would take very long at all. <laughs> That's awesome. So in conclusion, God is God. <laughs> no matter how many ways you slice, how many ways you slice it, He's our loving, patient father and friend. No matter what circumstances you face in life, good or bad, God is always good. And he's always there for you, and he's always there with you. You just cry out to him and earnestly seek him. Let this year be different. Let this year, and even tonight, let it start tonight, even start right now. Make a decision, you know what? I'm going to seek after God in faith, knowing that he is already here waiting for me. Go into your prayer closet in your secret time, knowing that God is there waiting for you and he wants to encounter you even more than you want to encounter him. Think about that. God wants to encounter you too. He wants this intimate relationship with you. So seek him earnestly. Amen. Thanks, guys. while you're preaching. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is my greatest cheerleader. Uh, um, these doors right here, Dirk, are these open? Uh, can we have these closed? Uh, and people can, go in, yeah, people can go in around that way through that door. That's how we're going to do that. Sorry, ladies. The, the cold air is blowing in from outside. But you guys can stand right over here and watch through that little crack that's open right there. All right. So Josh and Daryl Lee, who had their first baby, Selah, are such a precious family in our congregation. And uh, they have raised up a youth band. 
and have caused that youth church to come to a whole new level. They have been such a blessing to our congregation, and, and uh, we're going to be seeing more and more of Josh. Next, Kirsten has been with us for such a long time, and she is so faithful, and she's prophetic. She has dreams. She's deep. She is a woman of God, and she can shuck the corn with the Word of God. So let's welcome Kirsten Clegg. Bruce, are you going to move to back for me? No. Um, I love the word that Josh brought um, because it all does start with faith. And uh, for me, it takes faith every day to to do what he was saying, to, to enter in and just find yourself in God's presence. And sometimes the easiest way for me is to stick music on because music is powerful. Um, and worship is not about music all the time. But music is one of the ways we can, can get into it. And so sometimes I'll just go for a run. I'll have my earbuds in, and I'll be doing my thing, listening to worship and just praising God. And before I know it, I'm so into his presence that I kind of forget, you know, I'm in a public place, and, and that's okay. Um, but this one day in particular, a couple weeks ago, I want to uh, tell you a funny story. I was running, and I had had a great time with God, and I was into it, and I was worshiping, and I had done my run, and I was ready to, to cool down. So I started taking laps around the park, and all of a sudden, I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm going to just, you know, get in my car, go, go on my way. A song came on, and it struck a chord in me so deeply it stirred something up. It was a revelation that God had given me weeks be- before, and it, he reminded me of it in this song. And I cannot explain to you what happened other than I leapt so high and began sprinting around the park again because I couldn't control myself. Worship sometimes is that response to God and what he's done for you. Sometimes you have to do it by faith, but other times it's a response to a love encounter with the Father. And for me, it's uncontrollable. It's like that scene in Elf, you know, where Buddy the Elf's running around. I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. You know, I mean, sometimes you can't control yourself because you're so in love. And so today I want to talk to you about that aspect of worship. Um, for me, when I think of encounter and face-to-face with God and, and being in his presence, there are so many great stories in the New Testament, but one of them in particular is the woman at the well. Um, in John 4, Jesus is there waiting. He knows what's going to happen. He wants to invite us into his presence. And on that day, he's going to invite a woman into his presence who doesn't think she deserves it. She doesn't even know what she's going to encounter, but she gets there and she finds this Jewish man who's talking to her. Now she's an outcast. She has to go to the well in the middle of the day just to be away from people because people despise her so much. And here's this Jewish man waiting for her. And he's showing her acceptance. He's showing her love. He's showing her face to face, you matter. And what does she do? The subject of worship comes up. First, he reads her mail. He says, hey, I know who you are, and it doesn't matter. I love you anyway. I'm accepting you anyway. You're invited into my presence. And so what does she say in return? I know you're a prophet. Kind of got that. 
and our forefathers worshipped on this mountain. You might think she's changing the subject, but I want to propose to you, she's not changing the subject. When you have an encounter with God, when you are accepted and loved, the first thing that's going to come to your mind is a response, and worship is that response. That word worship in John 4 is proskuneo. It literally translates, it's a Greek word, it literally translates to kiss. Pros is where we get our word prostrate, to bow, to bow low. And kaneo, to kiss. Worship literally means we have the privilege of bowing low in response and intimacy and love to a God who's already invited us into his presence. That's what worship is all about. And out of that encounter came that famous verse that we all probably can quote. My, that God is requiring true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And this morning, I want to give you a picture of what that means, because we can hear that, but what does that really mean to worship in spirit and in truth? And um, at the beginning of the year, God gave me a picture of what I believe that looks like for us this year, what it looks like for me, I know, but what it, it looks like for you as well. And it was this, it was actually a dream. I had gone to bed asking God, for kind of direction for this year, you know, how we all do at the beginning of the year. And when I woke up, I was just amazed at what he had told me. In my dream, I was walking in this dark hallway. I knew it was a narrow hallway, and I knew that I was walking on a slab of rock because I could feel the, the rigidness, the roughness. The, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't a smooth concrete floor, and it was dark, pitch black, And I knew that I was not supposed to go anywhere without Christ. I needed him to illuminate my way. I needed him to show me what direction to go and whether I was to continue or to stop. And so I just simply asked him, God, show me where to go. And immediately a footprint illuminated on the floor. And so I stepped onto the footprint. I waited. God, what should I do next? I know you're with me. The footprint illuminated stepped onto the next footprint. And that happened for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden, they stopped. And I was a little confused. I thought, what's going on? I I knew there were doors on either side of the hallway, but I did not get clear direction that I was supposed to open any of those doors. And I did not want to open them or go anywhere or do anything without his direction. And so I waited. And I can do this without tears. What happened next was amazing because it was like a magnet drawing the inside of me down to the floor. And the lower and the lower and the lower that I got, I could see his face. His face was in the rock rock that was beneath me. And I knew he was with me. And so I felt compelled. I'm not kneeling down. I'm getting prostrate on the ground. And I laid myself out on that rock. And I knew I was supposed to put my face to his face. I knew I was supposed to put my eyes where his eyes were. I knew that I was supposed to worship him, intimacy, love, kiss the face of God. And so I did. And when I laid there, he filled me up so 
with his glory and his love and his compassion and his truth and his light and his life that I, in my dream, I could not move. I was paralyzed. I was so full. And then I woke up. And I could not move. I was paralyzed. I was so full of his glory. Because to worship, it means to kiss the face of God. You can get down low. You can do it anywhere. I'm not saying you literally have to get down, but try it. It's not not bad. To worship in spirit and in truth sometimes means that you may not have all the answers. You may be in a dark place today, or you may have been in a dark place all last year, and you may be saying, God, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I'm stuck. And he's saying, get low. Get down. Put your face to my face. Put your lips to my lips. Worship me in spirit and in truth, and I will fill you so full that you'll, be, you'll have everything you need for the next day. You'll have everything you need for what I'm calling you to. And then you can go out into the marketplace. You can go out into your school. You can go out to your family. You can be at home with your kids and know, I had my worship time with God, and he filled me so full His face is attached to my face, which means his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his self-control. Where is it? It's right there with you. You have it for everyone you meet, for every person you come in contact with. And so my encouragement to you today is try worship in a new way. Let it be a response that says, I'm compelled to love him. I'm compelled, and I will kiss his face every day. I told you she has dreams. Oh, Heather. What are you going to say after that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God is so alive. I feel so sorry for those who don't think God speaks. You know, Hope is a junior in college at San Diego State University, and she's sitting around a round table, and uh, they're all supposed to give their life, their timeline, their lifeline, the story of how you ended up where you are. And I said, when you get to the point about, you know, adopting Samuel and adopting Josiah, are you going to tell them that God spoke to you? And she says, not a chance. And I understand, you know. The world just doesn't get it. They think people that say God speaks to them are dangerous. I think people who don't hear God are dangerous. <laughs> right? And so you've got to be able to communicate your walk with Christ in a wise way and at wise moments for people who are hungry and want to know more, but you don't still throw it out there because they'll trample on it. That stuff right there is just, that's, that is just, I mean, how can you put a price on that? That's beautiful. I'll never forget that. That's beautiful. And Heather has been growing as a worship leader and as a worship songwriter 
uh, for years. I've watched her now for, I think, 13 years, 14 years, 15 years. And uh, she's going like this. And uh, she is a grower. And I've seen her anointing increase. I've seen her songs get deeper and richer. And as you know, when she leads worship, uh, in about a second, you're in the presence of God. And uh, that's just a, a grace and a gift. And it's just a honor to have her as part of our family. So I'm going to welcome Heather Nunn to come up and bring the word to us. Wow. What a full morning already, huh? Yeah. I probably should put my glasses on, but that's okay. Hi. What an honor, what a privilege to be able to talk to you today. Um, Kirsten, I should have gone first because God spoke to me through the woman at the well. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And um, she already did a brilliant job describing the story of the woman at the well, so I'm not going to do that to save time. Sorry. (laughs) Just realized it's going to be like, okay. (laughs) It's all right. We're just family. We're just friends. Okay. So I wanted to point out four different things that the Lord illuminated to me about the story of the woman at the well. And really what it boils down to is what happens when we're exposed to the presence. And the first thing that happens is he meets us at our place of need, the well. In this case, the woman needed water. That's why she was going. It was a natural need. And God was waiting there for her. You know, um, in verse 4 of John 4, it says that it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. Why? Because he was there waiting for her. He knew what was coming. I think a lot of us think that we have to make ourselves clean and perfect before we come into his presence. And we have to have it all together and our thoughts have to be pure and, you know, all these things before he will give us that love before he will give us that encounter. And that really isn't the case. He's the initiator. He's the creator. We're the created ones. This was his idea. You were his idea. He saw you before the creation of the world. And he thought, oh, she's good. He's good. It's friendship with God. It's communion. It's walking with him in the cool of the day. That was his desire for us. Just let that sink in. That's his desire to be with you. And he's the one who's pursuing. He's the one who's setting up these encounters for you. Because he wants to encounter you. He loves you. He knew it was coming. Jesus knew it was coming, and he went to wait for her at the well. What a beautiful picture. It's important to understand what kind of desire really is in his heart for us. The second thing that I see in this story is the promise, the superior promise that he offers. You know, she came for natural water, and he offered her living water. Doesn't God do that for us? We totally do. See, he's always pulling us upward. He's always lifting our eyes up, lifting our gaze up, saying, come on, think higher, look bigger, 
Expect more. I see where you are in your place of need. And there's an answer to that. I've got it. And guess what? It's going to blow your mind. (laughs) It literally is out of this world. How many of us have been guilty of saying it's too good to be true, right? But it is. Like God is just that good. This, the, the nature and the character of God in our life is too good to be true. You know what it does? It's like he's, he's dangling this carrot and he wants to get us, he wants to initiate a response in us. What is that response? Expectation, hope. He's the God of hope. He's described as the God of hope so many times. Just read through the New Testament. Look at how he's described. The God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy. So it creates this expectation. That's what he did for the Samaritan woman. She came to the well because she needed water. And Jesus was there offering her something far superior, living water. And she wasn't familiar with this feeling of hope and expectation. She didn't really know what to do with it. You were designed to live. We were designed to live in a perpetual state of hope and expectation. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praised, honored, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his boundless mercy, We have been born again to an ever-living hope. Hope is a big deal to God. It's part of his nature. I feel like he wants to restore that for some of us today. In fact, I will stay up here afterwards. And if you are really struggling with hope, hope for the future, hope for your circumstances, I really want to pray with you today. So I'll make myself available up here. So this brings us to the great exchange part of this story. Exposure to his presence exposes. When he shows up, his presence confronts you with anything that's in the way. That's just the bottom line. From just a short time of being with Jesus, all of a sudden the Samaritan's woman, she's like, whoa, here's my life. I've had five husbands and the one I'm living with isn't my husband. She's been totally laid bare before the presence of Jesus. And she's been confronted with the reality of her brokenness. So how does his presence do this? What, what does his presence expose? It exposes sin, woundedness, brokenness, unbelief, old mindsets. It exposes like the measure of how we love, you know, and what we believe about God. How does it do that? Simply put, he's light. <laughs> and light exposes darkness. 1 Timothy 6.15.16 says that he lives in unapproachable light. Think of that. He lives in unapproachable light. Psalm 104 says that he wraps himself in light as with a garment. And light always trumps darkness. Light always wins. What happens when you walk into a dark room and you flip the switch? Suddenly you can see what was already there. Why does it expose? Why does he want to do that? Because we all have areas of desperate need and change. 
healing and freedom. But listen to this. He does not expose you to shame you. He exposes this. He exposes these things because he wants to bring you into freedom. It is never, ever to expose. He says he, he's love. And what does love do? It covers a multitude of sin. What else does love do? It casts out fear. There's no fear in love. Fear has to do with punishment. That's not what God's after when he exposes his presence to us. He's doing it for your freedom because there's already grace waiting. And here's the deal. The exchange is outrageously unfair. Outrageously unfair. We give him failure. He gives us hope and a future. We give him sin. He gives us the righteousness of God. We give him fear. He gives us perfect love. We give him rejection and disappointment, and he gives us favor. The woman at the well only had a history of rejection, betrayal, and loss. But Jesus gave her salvation. He gave her reputation back. He, she was one of the first ones that God said, guess what, I'm the Messiah too. And then ended up being the missionary and saving the whole town. Isn't that interesting? Jesus revealed himself to the uttermost outcasts of society only to send her back in to save it. <laughs> and then I love what happens is basically the whole town says, okay, we're curious about your testimony, so we're going to go out and check this out for ourselves. And then in verse 42, it says, now we no longer believe just because of what you've said, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that he truly is the savior of the world. In other words, we now believe because we've been exposed and because we've experienced his presence. Which brings us to the response. Revelation always demands a response. In this case, it was the revelation of the Messiah. I find it very interesting, as Kirsten pointed out, that the first question, once she starts to get this revelation that there's something bigger going on, you know, she's being exposed to the supernatural nature of Jesus. And her first response is, okay, let's talk about worship. And Kirsten did a great job explaining what that means, so I'm not going to do that. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. I want to suggest to you that we all have these woman at the well encounters and opportunities every day. How do we recognize it? That's easy. Where's your need? Where's the natural need in your life? Are you discouraged? Are you stressed out financially? Is there trouble in the home? Is there trouble in the job? Trouble in your marriage? Are you sick, tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired? <laughs> I've been there. That's the place of need. That's the well. That's where Jesus is already waiting to encounter you. So whatever your place of need is, here's the great news, that Jesus is already waiting, and he's got something too good to be true to offer you. And when he does, yes, it will expose things that he wants to bring change, wholeness, and freedom to in your life. But he's ready to make that exchange because he's got something so much better. And what happens is we're invited into this greater revelation of majesty and the character and the nature of God. 
our response. We're created to just respond to his majesty in worship. So good. So imagine what a life full of these encounters. Imagine if all of us are encountering these woman at the well experiences every day. You can't help but share it, right? I have a feeling that that's what God's after. He's after an entire town, an entire city, and an entire nation. So tonight, come. You don't have to be different when you come, but I guarantee you'll leave different. <laughs> Mark says, I guess you're out of a job. <laughs> hey, uh, maybe it's a sign because I just found a dime on the floor. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, so I want to, um, whew, you can't take too much teaching from uh, worshipers because it gets a little invasive. They spend so much time penetrating his presence that you don't want to give them too much time with the pulpit because the light's too bright. But uh, it's just awesome. I love what you're saying, Heather. I had uh, Phil and Christina Williams. They came to our house last night, cooked us dinner, and, well, Phil did. Christina just kind of sat there. Um, She's not in church. She's at preschool too. Nobody tell her what I just said. It's on the tape. Christina, I love you so much. But as she, she will probably point out, I sat with her and we watched Phil Cook. And it was awesome. But what they said was their neighbor asked them to come to church and they really didn't want to. And he, Phil said the very thing, same thing. He said he felt like he, had, he wasn't holy enough to come be with people in church. And he said, when he came here, he said, the worship, they came in and started crying right at the beginning of walking through those doors. And then he said, my message that day was come as you are. And how many years has it been, Phil, that you've been here? Seven years and you're still here. It was that message, come as you are, that rocked their world. And uh, the person that brought you is not even here. So on them and here you are. Isn't that great? And you're still here. So maybe you have something to teach them. So anyway, so anyway, the way I would like to conclude the day is an encounter. There's communion on either side of the church today. And as you come out and you come down this center aisle and you go this way and then you exit out the wide aisles, I'm going to ask that you lay down whatever is between you and intimacy with Jesus Christ. Just lay it down. As you're coming out and you're walking down here, just drop it. Like she left her water pot at the well. She came for what she thought would satisfy. And when she met Jesus, she forgot about what she thought would satisfy because she had found true satisfaction, which was in Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to ask you, as you come out down this aisle, you drop your water pots. Whatever it is that you feel like is satisfying you that is of the world, drop it. And then come down to Jesus Christ. His body and his blood is waiting for you right down here with what Josh said, mix your faith. Believe that when you're coming down here, you're not just taking some grape juice and some, some bread. 
you're truly encountering Jesus Christ. Because he said, when you take this, take my body, take my blood. And so when you come down and mix your faith, saying, I'm coming and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ, and I'm going to trade in my water pot for him. And then come back this evening and let's engage in worshiping him. Amen? So, Heather, I'm going to ask if you'll go up and you'll just fill the house with some worship. And I'm going to ask, body of Christ, come down the center aisle here. Drop your water pots as you come. Receive your communion. God bless you. If you took a parenting tickets, please make sure you sign up on your way out. If you need parenting tickets, please take the uh, tickets and sign up on your way out. And we'll see you guys here tonight. It's 530.